Welcome, 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 welcome to the RIP 28 podcast. The RIP 28 podcast. This is a podcast where a few friends can get together and we can talk about a few things. Now, some of those things you might like, some of those things you might not like, but we're going to keep on talking about them on the RIP 28 podcast. I am your humble host, Slaughter Sports Guy, joined by a few of my good friends. We're going to start off, start off in the top left, the one and only, the doctor, Dr. J, what's going on, Doc? Hey, what up, what up, what up? Ain't nothing going on, man. Had a good dinner. Uh, had a good, nice ribeye wife cooked and sweet potato and then some, uh, <laughs> some broccoli. <laughs> good to go. Went on a little walk with my, my homeboy, Bentley. And so I'm good to go, man. Got my tea here sipping. We good. You good. Uh, you good. Girl dad number one over there. Down in the bottom, down in the bottom, Mr. Educator's Educator. What's going on, LBZ? Raise the roof, raise the roof. <laughs> the, the educators, educators in the building just here to be educated or to educate today. Raise the roof. All right, we got a we got a special guest. We got a special guest. You know what I'm saying? In the times of darkness, sometimes you need a star to brighten up, to brighten up your world. So what we did, we brought in a star. We brought in the one and only star M. She now we're gonna give a little background on Star. Star is one of my favorite biker chicks. She rides the big Harley. Star is is a is a, is a what is it, a security specialist. With IT world and all that, so that means she got plenty of money. She got plenty of money. Let, let me hold a couple of dollars over there. My girl Star, she is one of them girls who enjoys a nice cigar and a nice strong, what do you call it, a finger a finger of whiskey. I don't think I don't know what they call one of them things. I don't know. Finger of whiskey, <laughs> something like that. And she loves her pretty shoes. The one and only Star Moran. How you doing, Star? I'm pretty good. Thanks for the welcome. I like to call myself a tomboy in stilettos. That's the easiest way to sum up my personality. All in all, a little tired. Took a 10-hour drive in from Michigan this morning. So, But for y'all, I took off the bonnet, pulled it together, and here I am. Hey, look at here. Look at here. She is the best. She is the best in the whole wide world, Miss Star. Man, you know what, man? What, what you guys oh, over you here? The, you the real MVP, Star. Don't let us forget to tell you you're the real MVP. Hey, you know what? Speaking of real MVP, you know, I gave her all of those uh, compliments and everything because she shares a hometown or she shares an area. She's from the DMV also, but she's from Baltimore. So, you know, I can't I can't talk too slick about Star because Star might shoot me. You know, how, you know how they get down in Baltimore, man. As long as you know. You know, every, everybody's seen The Wire, man. We know how they get down in Baltimore. As long as you know The Wire was not just a show. <laughs> it is real it's real life man you know all our people out there all our fans out there man we appreciate you watching we appreciate you listening but we want to make sure we want to let everybody know man we're the rip 28 podcast we are everywhere we are everywhere we're on apple Podcasts. we're on uh google Podcasts, itunes spotify Podbay. Uh, YouTube, uh, what else? Facebook, Twitter, man. Twitter. Any, anyway, anchor. 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 Anywhere you listen to your podcast, anywhere you watch your podcast, we are there, and we want to encourage all of you guys. We want to encourage everybody to go out. Make sure you hit the like and the subscribe button. Because I'm gonna be honest with you, man. If you don't hit the like and subscribe button. Something probably wrong with you. I mean, you was probably raised wrong. That, that's the only reason I can think of somebody wouldn't hit the like and the subscribe button on our podcast, man. Now, a lot of stuff going on this week, man. A lot of stuff going on. But the first thing, man, we can't go past step one. We can't go past door number one without acknowledging the great Earl Simmons, man. Earl Simmons passed away this week, better known as DMX. The dog, the dog passed away this week, man. Uh, that was tough, man. You know, for, for the dog, man, we're going to have to sip on something, man. What, what you, you sipping on something down there, Bron? Yeah, man, for the dog, I got a little bit of uh, apple syrup with the Sprite. For the dog, baby. <laughs> well, well, now, I would ask Juwan what Juwan sip it over. We might have to explain to Juwan who DMX hey, is. Look, we got to do a show on Saturday. We do a show on Saturday, I'll be sipping on something. But, uh, oh, Lord. We do it on uh, Sunday. I got to get up and get it, get it going. 
You know, I get peach. it in tomorrow morning. Peach so snaps. He wants some peach snaps. So I got I got my herbal tea here, just relaxing for the afternoon. We need my to find, find Joanna Zima. They still make Zimas. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get them a Zima. What about you, beautiful star? What 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 are you sipping on over there? I got a little red wine for the for the X Man. Flesh of my flesh, uh, brother. Uh, mm. Some of that communion right wine right there, man. You know. Me myself, me myself, man. I got a little concoction, man. I, I got my my medieval times mug right here, and I decided, <laughs> I, I decided to get a little bit of Smirnoff. I got some Smirnoff watermelon. Yeah, man. I got some Smirnoff watermelon, and I mixed it with some um, what is that? Welch's pink lemonade, cause that's the only thing I had. Now. <laughs> Making all kind of stuff up, over man. There. I'm, I'm, I'm making stuff up, man. I'm a, I'm a real bartender over here, man. You know, man. But, you, you took it back to the days with Smirnoff. Smirnoff, <laughs> man. You know, hey, man. You know, I got all these mini bottles, man. You know, when I go to the liquor store, man. You know, I go and buy whatever particular liquor I want, but I go and get. You know, they have all those mini bottles sitting on sitting on the desk when you check out. And me, man, I just go and say, man, just give me about $20 worth of mini bottles. And, you know, whatever he put in the bag is what he put in the bag. You know, they're a dollar a piece. You know, you can't beat no you deal. Like you got a 20-year-old liver, man. Hey. <laughs> well, no, it's, 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 the little, it's the little mini bottles. You know, see, we from South Carolina. South Carolina, it was, it was the law for a long time that, that when you went to the bar, they ain't have free pour. They just had mini bottles. So if you order something to drink, you saw the the bartender crack crack that mini bottle open and, and pour the mini bottle in your drink. So that you was that a, moonshine liver anyway. Your, your liver's been conditioned. Hey man, hey, I'm a good old country boy. You know we 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 can handle it. We can handle our liquor from South Carolina. We can handle it. So, <laughs> but uh, okay, but yeah, yeah, man. Let's talk about the dog, man. You know, uh, DMX died, man. Talented guy, trouble. Guess some people say trouble. I don't think he was troubled, man. He was just a brother who, who who experienced life. I saw a post that said, DMX truly lived his life. The man started out dirt poor, rock poor, you know, arose to fame, got to see the world, got to have all the money he needed, was at peace with himself, loved himself and loved everything about himself and he died man and you think about it man that's a that's a great life even though it's only 50 years that's a lot man that's a lot in only 50 years man how, how y'all feel about dmx and y'all got some good dmx moments or anything about x when i look at x i don't i don't think i'm as, as troubled i feel like he led the life lived the life that so many people live every day he just let his out loud. He lived his out loud. And he was brave enough to share it. The good points, the bad points, the triumphs, the struggles. You know, he did it. He was willing to do it out loud for everybody to see it. And it's crazy because about six months ago I posted a post this. I was listening to DMX for just a couple days. And I was like, yo, we never deserve DMX. He made us ready to fight and then pray for us all in the same thing. <laughs> he prayed for us at the beginning, got us hype in the middle and then prayed for us at the end. We ain't deserve that, man, when we was younger doing it, but you know, I don't think he was trouble. He just the same life that people live every day in the streets. He had, he lived it out loud, and he was brave enough to share it, even when he was the weakest. And you know, I think, especially for black men, y'all don't usually have a safe space where you can show that sense of vulnerability. And he did it on the worldwide stage, and nobody had the courage or would even judge him for it because he was he was X Men. So I don't look at him as trouble. He just lived the life so many people do. Mm. Man, I just appreciate X not only for his music and his talents, like you said, his prayers and being really people don't know that X was, you know, a smart person. I just like that he was always real. He was 100% X. Every time you've seen him, no matter what, if he was at a show, whether he was, um, some of my coaches met him at a, met him somewhere and they gave him a book that they had written. Man, he was just real. And, and I appreciated him just opening up his life not showing only the good times, but the bad times and, and how it all interacted together, man. He was just real, and I appreciate that from Hicks, man. Uh, yeah, I, I, Go ahead. Yeah, I, I would agree that it, it, the dude was real. He would tell it like it is. You're going to get 100. But I don't know if I don't – I still think the guy was – I think he was battling demons his whole life. And so if you want to call that trouble, then – 
maybe he was trouble. Uh, but I, I think with the, with the drugs, I was watching. Um, I was telling Sliders uh, earlier. I was watching um, Iana fix my life on the um, YouTube. I just Google DMX. Let me see some interviews or something uh, this week. And I, I saw that one one episode. And one thing he told her was like, "Look, I'm a drug addict. I'm always be a drug addict, and it's it's only triggers. And no matter what it is, I it, it was a trigger, and I go right back to using drugs. And so, um, I, I, I he lived his life. He was real, but he was also I, I I think he struggled. But like you say, everybody struggled. We just saw his on the on the on the world stage, right? And, and he wasn't scared to show it. He would he would he would say it, you know. And that's what he told her. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, you you couldn't hate, help but love him, right? Because he he was he was that dude who gonna tell it like it is, and you you know you're gonna respect that. So, you know one. He, he, go ahead. Go ahead, Sly. No, you go ahead, buddy. Now, one thing you know I, I loved about DMX, man, and, and it, it has a, so much to do with music, man. DMX was the soundtrack to my college experience. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause, cause he came out and I, I think it was '98, man. I think it was '98, freshman or sophomore year in college, man. When when DMX came out and it was, it was just you know it was everybody at that time was, you know Puffy was riding so high with all that shiny suit rap and you know everything was you know money, money, money. But DMX was just so grimy and so just rugged. And raw man, it, it, you know, he provided that soundtrack because you had that DMX going really, really strong, and then that's when uh, P and No Limit kind of started to make that make that rise too, man. And he, it's like he took rap back to the gutter, man. And, and, and I don't know, it, it, it's just, it's just to me, I, I loved it, man, because um, they were saying something like he's the first devil person to have. He released two albums in the same year, and both of them was number one. You know, both of them was chart-topping number one albums. You know, how you do that, man? Because you get people nowadays, man, you release one album every other year, some stuff like that. But he released two in the same year, and both of them was number one, man. That's That just show you, man, the type of love and support that this man had. And for him to be so big and so huge, he, he moved around. You know, I guess he, he got... He, he didn't have his driver's license or something like that in, in New York. So I know he went to Arizona. He lived out in Arizona. But the strangest thing, he moved to Greenville, South Carolina. Out of all the places Greer. in the – Yeah, Greer. 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 I yeah. said Greenville <laughs> to give it a little bit of, a little bit of pizzazz, man. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, man. Too, man. Like, like, like what was the reason now? Don't nobody know. I mean, somebody know, but I don't know why he picked Greer. Greer is like – Ain't nothing in Greer. That's where that's where radio from. I don't know if y'all remember radio the show. So if it's a lot radio, of land, radio not from Greer. Radio not from Greer. From T.L. Hannah. Hannah. Yeah. That's Anderson. Well, it's all up there, same place. This is all in the same He's area. In the upstate. Middle. He wasn't far from where I lived at though. Huh? He wasn't. I lived where DMX was living at in Greer. When I was up in the upstate, I didn't live far from there. Yeah, you know, it's like Bumblefuck West, Bumblefuck South Carolina. You know what I'm saying? It's the middle of fucking nowhere. And this Basically. dude, this dude just moved there, you know, of all the places, you know, a uh, worldwide famous recording stock and move. He moved to Greer, fucking South Carolina. And from everybody I known in the Greenville area, they all say, man, yeah, they ran into DMX at some point in time. And he was just like a regular nigga. He was just like, hey, you know, I'm I mean, Earl. As, as grimy as his life was, he was a kind dude. Like he loved animals. He loved nature you know, helping people. That was, you know, kind of his thing. So a place like that where it's nature, it's animals, it seems like it just fit. Space, but, and you got to remember, that just speaks to the to his character and the type of person he was. Usually we hear about somebody that has the struggles or or had the, the shortcomings of DMX. We try to stay away from him. But in this case, man, if you've seen DMX, you actually, you kind of gravitated towards him, ran to him just because like you said, Sly, life was so grimy, so so be more like. So be more like man. <laughs> it is so Baltimore like. But you 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 know you know it's interesting, man. We we talk about you know the the low points in his life. You know he well documented uh, drug addiction, and you know you know most reports say you know he had an overdose, and that's what put him in the coma. You know which eventually led to his death. Now, you know, there are reports coming out. And this is the thing about the Internet, man. I don't know how true 
stuff on the internet really is. But people saying that Jay-Z and Beyonce offered, um, you know, to buy his masters back and give them to his 17 kids. And I don't know how many kids he had. I'm thinking 16. I heard 16. Oh, see, I just said 17. Just either, to say, either way, I said it's a lie. <laughs> it's a lie. <laughs> but, but, yeah, so they they offered to give his masters to his kids. And now you get you get some people. I'm hearing some people. They're like, well, why they want to do this for him when he dead? How come nobody looked out for him when he was living? And so, and, and I, you know, I me, I like to dig in a little bit deeper. So I'm like, what you mean? Why you don't? Why nobody looked out for him while he was living? And you know, somebody responded. They was like, "Well, he was on drugs, and ain't nobody help him." Now, I find that kind of hard to believe uh, that that nobody helped the man try to get off drugs. I think everything I know about drugs is when you own, you got, <laughs> you know, you got to want to get off drugs. Can't nobody say get off drugs. So I'm a comment on this as I buried my dad 18 months ago love of my life my dad was an addict um and then one of the things you know that you mentioned ex said in the interview my dad always told me I will always be an addict I'm just not using at this time he was clean 23 years when he passed but it was always he knew he was an addict so there's nothing anyone can do for you and growing up in Baltimore addicts is normal you you know how to spot a fiend from 200 yards so that lean, they got that lean, they don't never hit the ground. Never. <laughs> but you when it comes to, first of all, when an addict is using, you can't give them but so much help, especially from a financial space because it's going right in their body. It's, that's just it. They don't have that mindset to choose anything other than that. That's the pop, most powerful force in their life, over family, over God, over everything, until they make that decision. So if, if he was here and he was using, buying those masters and giving them to him, you wasn't doing nothing but giving him a, a supply to get high. Because everything that came from that was going to go right into his body. And that's just how it worked. If he was clean, whether he was drinking, whatever the case would be, if he was clean, then it would be a mindset. But I, I can't see X being a person that's saying, hey, give me this stuff. You know, somebody give me the charity. In his mind, He one thing I can always say I heard him speak about was consequences for action. And he will always say, I fucked that up. I mean, it is what it is. I fucked that up. So I can't see him being the type of man who's like, you know, somebody help me and give me. But when I'm when somebody on drugs, ain't nothing you can do but be there for them when they're ready to get off of it. You can support them through the process, cut them off when you need to, but there's nothing you can do to get them out of that space. Now, do you do you think that that uh the fact that he had money it made it even worse? Because I, I think I heard him say that, like, you know, oh, yeah. I got all of resources here. And Not you, only. Yeah, Not ahead. only the, the money that makes it easier, but you got people who ain't going to tell you no. And yeah. nobody going to check you. Mm. And the only person who's checking you is your wife. And yep. you've been with her since she was 12, 13 years old. So you can, you, you know, you can get around that at a certain point. But there's no, 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 everyone needed him. So no one was going to check him. And if you got endless money, you worldwide famous, you can go anywhere. Sometimes you can get your drugs without money just so people can say that they associated with you. So yeah, that, that definitely contributed to it. But some of those childhood demons that he had, all of that plays into it. And all of that goes back to a space of, especially with men, black men, having the tools to deal with emotions and not knowing how to deal with that pain. And what people fail to realize is hurt manifests itself in anger and addiction and destruction. And all, that, all that's just pain that was built in as a child that he never had a res- uh, the tools to manifest and work through. So, you speaking know. Of, speaking of his childhood, um, I was reading an article, like Sly said, like you don't know what to believe on the internet, but um, they were saying that at 14 years old, his mentor had laced his blunt with crack cocaine and it was a downward spiral ever since. So how do you win with that? And he right. said, and he was chasing, you know, chasing that high ever since. He said that, and I think he did when they did that Rough Rider special last year. That's that yeah, was I heard that same yeah. story too. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's tough. I don't. I, I mean, I, it's just still sad to see him go at age fifty. I'm thinking like, heck, I'm forty two. So yeah, like, dude, like and so uh, that's the reason I got you. Know, it, I got kids, and I want to be around for my kids. So I got to do the stuff I need to do. 
but uh, it's still sad just to see him go go so young because fifty is not not old. So, but if you look at everything he was able to do in them fifty years, it's not a lot. But look at all he was able to do, even with his demons and his trouble, everything he was able to accomplish. All the people he was able to touch through music, through praying at concerts where everybody smoking, they high, they drinking. When X start praying, everybody stop what they doing. <laughs> He should have been a preacher. <laughs> yeah. He said he, he, I saw an interview. He said he probably was supposed to be a preacher. He just couldn't bring himself to do it. He knew he was supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if he was that powerful and that influential as a junkie, imagine what he would have been able to do without those drugs in his system. True. But True. even at 50, he, his legacy, you can't, you can't deny it. You know, you got 40, 50 year old men who can say in their 20s, they was high at a concert and drunk and stopped to pray because X started praying over him and cried in the audience in the midst of it. Nobody else was able to do that. Nobody else has been able to do that. I put DMX and Tupac in the same tier, man. Because no matter what Pop did as his outlaw and whatever you didn't agree with, he was a powerful dude. And X was the same way. No matter what he was going through, man, his testimony and, 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 and his testament to just being around Man, that's 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 powerful within itself because he's been a crackhead since 14, 15, 16. That's he lasted 36 years. <laughs> and you don't see many crackheads now lasting like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I think so the, he, he's powerful, man. The transparency that both of those guys had with all their struggles made them that mm-hmm. more influential. They never pretended to be nobody they wasn't. If they failed, they owned it. I fucked that up. And and I think that was kind of what made everyone still be willing to gravitate toward them in that space. Cause you know, even if they failed, they owned it and kept pushing. Yeah, and they opened, once they opened that book to the world, their book, man, it was just like, it was just a hundred percent that you got of them. Yeah. You didn't have to guess, was X this way? Was he mad? Was he, was Tupac this, was X? They, they put it on the table, man. And that's what I appreciated most about them. The transparency that they had throughout their lives, good or bad. You, you know, I think that's, that's what you want you want transparency out of people you want people to be honest but you know sometimes being honest and being transparent you can be too transparent and that kind of ties into the next thing what's going on man your boy hubert davis man let's let's take it down a notch dmx getting me a little too too emotional but let's take it down a notch your boy hubert davis was recently uh appointed head coach of the University of North Carolina, huge, huge thing for those who don't know who Hubert Davis is. Hubert Davis was a former North Carolina Tar Heel. Hubert Davis played in the NBA for for I don't know twelve years. Twelve years. I know he played. Yeah, I know he yeah, definitely had over a decade worth in the NBA. Then he worked for ESPN for a good little bit. He worked for ESPN, and then he was the assistant coach under Roy Williams at North Carolina for a good little run too. So the man is well-versed in basketball, well-deserving of the job as the University of North Carolina, and he became the uh, first black head coach. But during the interview, man, they asked him, they said, uh, you know, they was asking him about being the first black head coach, and, you know, he was giving the answer. But he said, I'm also proud of my white wife, too. I'm like, what? <laughs> Say, what? Where this come from? You proud of having your white wife too? They talking about you being black, and you talk about you being proud of having a white wife. I'm like, oh shit, who, man? Who, who know what's going on with that, man? You, you, who was man, look that? bad for light skinned dudes out here, man. I'm like, dude, like, what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> I, that, I wonder if he regrets saying that now, or he felt like he gave his wife props. You know, you could have just said, hey, I, I'm thankful that I got a wife by my side supporting me it hadn't it didn't have to be a oh 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 you didn't have to bring your your wife race into it you know i, I know you're the first black and i was happy because i was happy that north carolina unc went to a black coach right you don't normally see that right so uh but dude you just lost all your points all your cool points so i yeah it's crazy let me tell you something he's not going he's not going to really feel it until he tried to go recruit that black kid <laughs> that black mama. <laughs> and, she, and she reminds him of that same white wife that he was so proud of. How do you sell that to a a, a recruit or a five-star kid 
and you just said that with a black mom sitting there looking at you in your face. How do you sell that? You can't. <laughs> you can't sell. You can't sell it to no black woman I know. <laughs> not not none in my not in my circle, right, Stone? Uh, uh, not in my circle. The black women I know they uh they seem to be a little upset by this uh white oh, woman. They was the chopping at the bit. The only reason I can see this man saying that is if he was catching hell from his wife already at home. She was like, you going to go in there and they just going to talk about all your black side and don't forget you got the other side of your family. And he was like, man, let me just cut this shit off at the path. Look, I got a white wife and I love her. Can we go back to the black stuff? Because it served no purpose. No. I'm I was embarrassed Juwan. for the dude. Like, damn, I'm I can't Juwan. even be mad at you. I'm too embarrassed for you. I'm with Jawan. Why? Why did that even matter at the time? Why couldn't you just say, "I appreciate my wife such and such for having my back and always standing in in the place of me when I miss my daughter such and oh, such yeah, and whoop de whoop." You ain't have to be so descriptive. <laughs> this wasn't no English paper. This wasn't no specification <laughs> or nothing. His <laughs> you know wife had giving him hell about that already. He had to. Yeah, there's no reason. Listen. There's no other reason for that to be said. Star, I'm asking you a question. You're a black mom. Don't know if you have kids or not, but I'm asking you anyway. <laughs> what What do you say to that to that to your son when he comes into your living room selling this sales pitch about how he can teach him, help him transition from a young man to a man, and such and such and this and that? What 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 would be your first thought? First of all, he better not come. He better send one of his assistant coaches. <laughs> <laughs> You better send him to the because you and I have nothing to talk about, sir. So he can't even see the deal. You should be proud of your family, but the fact that you felt the need to push that, just send one of your assistants. Man. But how do you feel at that point with leaving your, your you still have to leave your child in his care, regardless if he's sending his black assistant Sly or his light skin assistant Jawan. <laughs> You're going to have to deal with him at some point. Well, I mean, a lot of that is you, you got to deal with them, but when you got kids, you don't always like all they coaches, and that starts peewee football, AAU. You know, oh, yeah. this may be That's sadly true. one of the instances where, as a parent at that level, where you want to step out and let your son grow, but you don't know the influences he's getting, so you may have to still be around a little bit more. Um, right. Where, you know, like you were when he was younger and involved in sports, but you, you're never going to like everybody on that coaching staff. The thing is to make sure that he is getting what he needs to from that staff what, for, for his skill set. At that point, hopefully he's already had the right people in his life to help mold him into a man. And all y'all doing is teaching him skills and gets preparing him for the next level and he can get this degree. But, you know, I'm going to use you the same way you're going to use me. You're using me to sell tickets. I'm going to use you for this education to get my son to the next level. And we're going to move on. I'm not going to put, you know, my kid's faith in his manhood in the hands of someone who you can't even conduct a basic interview. Like, your wife pressured you into reminding everybody she white. What? So, so I, I got a question. Now, being that he said that, do you really see him as being, like, the first black coach at UNC, or you just see him being an Uncle Tom or something like that? I mean, regardless of how he affiliates, he still is a black man who's accomplished something that's never been done for one of the top you know, programs in the nation. So you got to respect that, but we'll see what he does. You know, <laughs> hey, I can tell you have a hell of a time recruiting black players, though. Damn. He is, and that's going to hurt it. I just, that led to my point, uh, Star. Um, he, he can be a black, uh, um, still part of the black race, but uh, when he start losing, <laughs> that's when he's going to really start feeling it. When he started losing all these recruits to John Calipari and some of these other top programs, these blue bloods, he'll start feeling it then and he'll start yep. kicking himself in the ass. Yeah. Well, two years. You, you know, <laughs> here's my thing. You said you brought in something interesting, Juwan. You said, you know, is, is, is he a black man or, or maybe is he an Uncle Tom or something like that? Now, we don't know anything about Hubert Davis. We don't know how Hubert Davis get down. We don't know if he, you know, he might just be super black, but he just happened to fall in love with a white chick, and that's who he married. But, um, you know, it's it's a lot of underlying stuff when it comes to, and, and I can understand why a lot of black women get mad because it seems like every time you see a famous athlete, he's 
married to a white chick. Well, I don't know about basketball. I played football in college. And I'm going to tell y'all, I'm going to break it down for the world right here on the RIP28 podcast. I'm going to break it down on how that happens. You know, how these black guys end up falling in love and marrying white chicks. I'm going to break it down for you. And what happens with the football team? The football team, when you go to college, you know, nobody really knows who you are who you are because on the football field everybody's wearing helmets you know what i'm saying it's 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 70 something people on the team so it's a lot of people to mix in now most of the time when freshmen go to college they get what they call red shirted on the football team they don't start they're on the bench now what people don't know is uh if a dude a brother he's he's on the football team he's on the bench and he's trying to holler at a particular woman, and he don't have much game, and he's using the fact that he play football. Well, he's trying to holler at the sister, and she's like, well, you play football. And he's like, well, I don't see you on the field. He said, well, I'm red-shirted. And then she'll write him off. She'll say, oh, man, well, you ain't no good. You ain't playing, so I'm going to leave you alone. I ain't going to mess with you. <laughs> now, rewind over to the white side of the fence. This white chick, she grew up. Her daddy watched football. Her daddy, you know, played football, so she followed her daddy around. Now, she know that this dude who's trying to holler at her, she know him from high school. She know he was a top recruit in high school, but he went to college, and he's playing behind a junior or a senior who's all-American. So she understands he's sitting the bench. So what she going to do, she going to put her time in. That white chick, I don't, and I don't seen it happen. On multiple occasions, I've seen it happen. The white chick put her time in, you know. The brother, the brother, he ain't getting no playing time. Sisters won't holler at him, but this white chick will take care of him. You know what I'm saying? She'll wash his clothes when his clothes need washed. She'll let him hold the daddy car to ride around campus. You know what I'm saying? To go wherever you want to go. He need a little bit of change. She got a little bit of change. She'll break him off a little bit of change. Now, when he start to climb that ladder, when them seniors and juniors leave, and he there by himself, when, when he there, and now he the man. He the man on the field, and he doing everything he need to do, and he getting ready to go to the league. Then the sisters kind of crawl back out the woodwork, and now they want to holler. Now they want to pay him a little bit of attention. But here go the thing. He like, well, shit, where was you at when when I wasn't nobody? You know, Karen was over here when I wasn't nobody. And now you want to pop out on the scene? Then he ends up with the white chick because she was there. From the beginning. And that's how it happens, man. I done seen it happen, man. I seen it up close and personal happen on multiple occasions. And that's how everybody wondering why the brothers end up with white chicks. That's how it happened. This has been a slight educational moment on the RIP 28 podcast. Not going to touch it. Not gonna hey, touch and I'm going to tell you another I'm going to leave it alone, hey, too. Fly, I, I ain't leaving it alone. The hell of I do. And they also, when you go to these recruiting visits, who's the ones that's showing you around? It's always the white chicks showing you around. Always the white chicks. Always the, the first one. thing you see when you get on you campus. You ever wonder why they picked them to show y'all around, though? Yeah, I do. I know why. If, it, if it's black girls at that school, there's a reason why they're picking the white girls to be the first impression you have on that campus. Mm-hmm. Y'all forget y'all y'all don't y'all miss that part. Easy access. Hey, like hey, I said, I'm not gonna touch it. Hey, hey, so we don't forget. We just think with the wrong head. Exactly. Exactly. You 17, so then, 18 years my, old. My next question is why are either one of your heads more impressed with that version of a woman than the version that raised you? Well, no, 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 no. See, it's, it's, see you, you wrong. We more impressed. Yeah. Not that we more impressed. It's easier. Thank you. And when you and when Thank you years, and when you're 18 years old, you're not looking for a challenge. Mm-mm. You're looking for the easy route. Whether it's in school, whether it's a job, whether it's a female, male, whatever you choose. You're looking for the easiest route. Not something that you're gonna have to put work into because you already have school, football, and other things outside of that. So you're but looking what y'all for the miss easiest is, route. What you miss is you're the easy route for them. I, I think what they're saying is that, yeah, that uh, it's yeah, it's easy, and they don't have to put in work. And those girls, they're gonna do whatever you know. What what a black female, you're gonna have to do more to keep that black female mm-hmm. happy. 
the white she don't care about she don't care about what you see you think she only gonna do everything to make you happy and that's and you don't have to do anything uh for her See, you thinking we we like like we we forty, we all forty years old. You know what I'm saying? We all all in our early forties, and so you thinking out of a forty year old's mind, and you not thinking out of a seventeen or eighteen year old's mind. You know, our mindset at seventeen and eighteen is is a lot different. We not trying. You know, first of all, at seventeen and eighteen, or when you in college at eighteen and nineteen, you can't afford to take no girl out. You can't afford to court her properly. You know what I'm saying? At that at that age. But when you got that, when you got that young thing over there who don't want you to take her out, who who got her own, who who will take you out, what you gonna do? What decision you gonna make? And most most black most black girls are, are brought up with, with respect for themselves. They brought up that, you know, you can't go around and you can't give it up all quick and easy like that. And you know, they, they taught well, they taught in the church. You know, the few white women that I know wasn't taught the same way. You know what I'm saying? They, they wasn't taught the same. I could be wrong. I don't know every white woman on the face of the earth. You know what I'm just saying? Just the ones I knew at Eastern Kentucky University was a whole lot looser than the black chicks at Eastern Kentucky. Really? You just going to call them out like that? Hey, I'm going to call them out like that. It's just a whole lot easier at Eastern Kentucky than it was the black chicks at Eastern Kentucky, man. It, it is what it is. Well, as an HBCU alum, they easy everywhere. Well, now that I, when you forty, you you know and you realize that you learn that now at forty, you know. But at eighteen, you you're not trying to put in no work, none. No work. But listen, to be clear, I'm not saying that for me. I'm just saying in most instances, guys are not looking for the challenge. Not at eighteen years old, we're thinking, I need something quick. I need something easy. I need something I can call right now and it happens. Almost like a magic trick star. Okay, I can get that. I'll accept that. But now, in my 40-year-old mind, that have a long, long. Long, yeah. Long, 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 long. As women, once we get 40, we don't want all of that. We want something quick, easy. Don't stress me out. So y'all describe it. Y'all describe it as the 18-year-old kid. And see, so... Why they end up being 20, 24, 25, end up marrying them? Because like, she was there from the beginning. She was there. When... He was there in the middle. No, no. He was in the middle. No, trust he me. When he was shooting in the gym. Love, exactly. Love, when he was shooting was, in the gym. The beginning was the girls you went to high school with who helped you write them essays so you could stay on that team. Yeah, That's but they, just, they ain't making the college. They, they pop yeah. up in the middle where they see some potential for something next and they rub your yeah. ego the right way. And yeah, but see, they was at McDonald's. Work, so you fall they was working at McDonald's, star. They was at McDonald's. They wasn't at the ones that was writing my essays. <laughs> I mean, Jawan wrote. I'm gonna be honest. Jawan wrote my essays in high school. The doctor. <laughs> I ain't gonna even yeah, lie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 you know, I don't know, star. I don't know. It's just. I guess it just comes out of convenience and yeah. being easy. A large part of it is convenience. That's especially if you at one of these big D one schools. You're exposed to more white women than you are us. Mm-hmm. And unless you have already have, you know, that strong co- connection and foundation with black women and you've just decided that that's the path you want in life, you got 46 white girls around you every day throwing it at you. And you at a D1 school, if you go to the league, that's a lot of what you're going to see from a collegiate experience and a social economic experience once you get there. So I think yeah. once you that you have to have a desire for us. And the reality is oftentimes when that tax bracket increases, sadly the desire for us decreases. I don't I don't I don't think so, man. And, and, and maybe maybe it's just in me. In some cases. In some cases. Maybe it's just me because, you know, ain't nothing more beautiful than a black woman in my world. You know what I'm saying? So I don't see the, the desire decreasing. I just see the availability you know what i'm saying that that's who was that's who is there and 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 when you reach and, and this is me speaking from guys i know who who've reached that level you know of athletic success and made it to the league and stuff like that when they reached that level the sisters weren't there for them when they were 
in college and when they were nobody. I don't buy that. I don't no. buy that. Yeah, I, it, it, this. What, 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 I, what I think. What I think it is. I think that these guys just think they're getting something better. Oh. And, and when they when they get money and they think that they're getting something better when they're really not. That's what I believe it is. And, and that's what we as black women. That's what we believe. Better. We believe that's better. I would say better. I would say different. Because growing up, most of us were around black women, black men. If you on the on the female side. So I think guys want something different, want to see something different. I don't think it's better. But answer me this. For me, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this, though, before you say your point. I'm going to say this. For me, I want a woman like Diane Brown. That's my mother. If you ain't like my mother, she told me, if you can't use her comb, don't bring her ass home. Let me put this disclaimer out there. I, if you whoever you fall in love with, be with it. I have friends who are interracial couples and family and all that stuff. So that's not an issue. But my thing is, what is so, and I need you guys to be blatantly honest, what is so bad about us that you want to go and do something different? Well, see, you you asking the wrong you asking the wrong people because all us yeah. he, just said ex- they want, he said they want something different. So if you're gonna say that, I, you said, I said some guys. I, I only said some guys because they look for the exotic, quote unquote, look at my quotes, quote unquote, the exotic, because they've been around black women. But you know and what? I'm not, saying that to, I'm not saying that to be fake. I'm only throwing out my opinion because I've never been with a white woman. I've only been with sisters, so I don't know. What you're doing is proving Jay Wan's point. Because he said oh. they feel like they're getting something better. You can put no. different, whatever label it is you want, you're putting on there. It's still because they feel like they're getting something that exceeds what they've always been exposed to. I don't I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about that stuff. The farm, all of that other stuff. And it, it, it may not it may not feel good to use the term better, but the fact that you gotta put exotic or foreign or whatever on it, all it is is you want something that feels like an upgrade. It's like a, I would a say, it's like I still a would freaking, say different stuff. It's like a Ford and a, and a Mercedes. It's a, it's foreign, but in your mind it's an upgrade because it's something new that you're not usually around and exposed to. That's why I said something different because it's not something that I'm usually exposed to. That's like if I've always been but if you desire the Mercedes, if you've always had the Ford, it's been there, it's shown up, it's done everything you need. But you have the when you get a little bit more money, damn, I gotta get that Mercedes. I gotta get that Benz. It does the exact same thing. Because he couldn't get it. He, he couldn't done. get it. you know why? Because they couldn't get the Mercedes back they then. They couldn't get it. But, but now they got some money. They could get the Mercedes now. They can so get it because they feel like it's something better and different. I, I wouldn't. I and still sadly, wouldn't say a lot of men look at women as possessions and labels. Like a I lot of men, as a status, as a status. A status. Your woman is your some, status. Some men, some men think a white woman is status, and maybe right. that's what you dated. dated but I mean, start. the reality that, is, by saying that that's my my white wife and I'm proud of it. I guess maybe he's thinking that that's his status. I'm not the, sure. I, like I said, I don't know. I'm only speculating. I've always been with a sister. I don't know. I'm just speculating, Star. So don't put me in that boat with Hubert but you Davis should, and but them guys. Whether you, whatever <laughs> race your mate is, you should wear them as a badge of honor and a status symbol. You want to pick the most, the person you think is the most amazing reflection of you so you can wear that as a status symbol and a badge of honor. It's just interesting that for so many black men, when they become successful at a certain level, that status symbol and that honor looks nothing like what created them and helped them get there. And, and I for totally us, that's agree. the part that's a smack in the face. I totally agree with that, but I still wouldn't say that we think that they, they, not we, because I'm not <laughs> in that boat, they think it's better. I would just think it's something different. But, you know, it's, it's just a difference in opinion. That's why we have a podcast. So, yeah, that's that's true, man. That, that's why that's why we sit up here and we talk these things out on the Rip Twenty Eight podcast. We try to get to the bottom of the situation, man. We try to we try to figure everything out on the Rip Twenty Eight podcast, man. Hopefully, we'll figure out why why athletes like white women. <laughs> they want they want to taste that's it. That's not limited to athletes. That's just men once they black men once they reach a tax bracket period. Nah, yes, see, see, I'm going. I, yeah. I, I, I hate. I hate when I hate when women say that. I hate when women say that because if you look at any statistical category, it will tell you that a black man is more likely to marry a black woman. 
All the statistics and all the numbers say that. They all say that. It's, it's a proven fact. But what happens, man, you see a few high caliber, well, I don't know about high caliber, but high profile guys who are married to white women and that those few, that's what determines the narrative. And that's not true, man. It's not true at all, man. What she's saying, I think, if I'm not speaking for Star, but what I think I hear is, it's not the guys, the nine to five guys or the guys that have everyday jobs. She's talking about the guys, once you reach a certain status, a certain, a certain fame, you think that white women are it or foreign women or the Kardashians. I don't think she's speaking for the guys like you and Jawan and I. I think she's speaking of the, the high caliber guys or, or high income guys like Charles Barkley and the Barry Bonds and those type of people. That's what I think she's saying. Am I right, Stone? Am I hearing that correctly? You, 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 you hit it close. You got a wife at home, okay. don't you? I, I had a wife. Okay. I had a wife. You, you tipped over on those <laughs> phrases like a man that's had to go through the ringer before. Hey, listen, Star, I know how to choose my vocabulary, my vocabulary. <laughs> when I have a black woman around me, because I know, but I, I love black women. I've only been with black women. I want that to be put out there. If you can't use my mama's comb, I can't bring your ass home. <laughs> I know, man. It's this whole the whole interracial thing is 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 a really interesting topic, really interesting convo, so, man. Go ahead. I have a question. I know two of you are divorced, one of you is still married. Did you guys ever date interracially? Let's define date. <laughs> Did you see her out doing daylight hours? No. 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 Not doing daylight hours. Not doing daylight hours. It had to be pitch black. So she looked black. I've actually dated interracially. Say what? I've actually, I actually have. So what was wrong with me that you couldn't date me, Stop? Yeah, how come you couldn't date a black man, Stop? What was wrong with the brothers? Is that white boy walked up to me and was like, wow, please tell me you date white boys. And I was like, if you're nice, yeah. He was like, okay, and gave me his number, and we went from there. Well, you know. But tell me you date light-skinned men, and here go my number. As long as you six feet, I got you. Oh, I'm 6'2", baby. I'm 6'2". <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But no, that surprises me, Star. That did, that, that did kind of catch me off guard, um, Star Davis. So, so since you had the experience, <laughs> then uh, how was that? Was it different? I, so uh, was... How it was, tell me why it was. Tell me why. I need to know. No, I met, I, I, did, I did it twice. I met them. They were nice guys. Yeah. They approached me. We had great conversation. We started hanging out and kicking it. But I will say that the only difference that I found, because humans are humans, men are men, there's lying, there's cheating, all that shit happens regardless. But the one fundamental difference I found is (laughs) white men inherently trust you. With black men, you earn that trust. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's because White men live in a space where everything, they live in a world where everything is inherently good and nothing should be going wrong and da 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 Where we live in a space where we're suspicious of everything at all times because you never know what's going to happen. So because... that was the only difference I had. Like one of the guys I was seeing, I spent the night at his house first time. We had been seeing each other maybe a month or so. And he had to get up early to go work out. And it was like 4.35 in the morning. So I hear him stand. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to get up and go home. And he was like, no, baby, you, this is my first time ever spending a night at his house. No, baby, you good. You can stay here. And I was like, huh? He was like, I left a key on the counter. You know, if you get up before I come back, just lock the door and I'll see you whenever you come back. Just let me know when you're coming back. You know, if not, I'll be back and I'll bring some breakfast. What? I called my homeboy like, hey. Mm-hmm. So look, let me tell you what just happened. Yeah, some cameras in the house. He had cameras in the house. He had cameras and he was he was waiting. He was yeah. waiting to see what you was gonna do. When he saw you made that when he saw you made that phone call to your homeboy, he was like, wait a minute, she from Baltimore, she calling the homeboy. He coming over here to rob me. We don't do that. Star, if that was me, when I got up, you need to be getting up too. 
You need if to that was up, me when I get up, you leaving too. We all leaving yeah, out here. Need, I walk you to your car. I walk you to your car. Make sure you get in. You can leave before me. But you're not staying at the house without me. You need to get up and be ready to go. And I, I think we may have been a month in. And I was like, no, I'm going to get up and leave. What? He was like, no. He was like, it's cold. Lay down. Go to sleep. I'll be back. Or if you need to go home before I get back, I left the key. That was so, Jawan and his people. That was Jawan and his people. That white <laughs> Oh, no, you, and it's you, crazy because every black guy I tell that story you had to has the same expression y'all have like what the white dudes be like okay well you know I wanted you to get rest not a money in not a, not a money in yeah, not a money in not a not a, we gotta we gotta have some time built up some some equity yeah. some sweat equity equity putting this thing for yeah, you yeah we had to go through some shit before you could just stay at my house without me and and. It was, I wasn't the first black woman he dated. So, like, all the other stuff being out in public and people saying stuff, it upset me more than it upset him. He was like, I've been dating black girls since high school. I'm used to this. See, my thing, my thing is, I often wonder, though, about white men like that. Are, are you only dating, and even white white women who, who date black men, if you do that exclusively, are you doing it because that's what you're fetishizing? Are you fetishizing black people? black people or are you doing it to make you know there's a couple of reasons I, I i get questions and concerns are you doing it to make your daddy mad you know what i'm saying you do it to make, to make it, your daddy mad because like like I say when i was in kentucky man you know it was certain certain white chicks you know throw themselves at you or whatever and i talked to you know i had a conversation with one of them you know you know we laying up in the dorm room and she was like well yeah my dad told me not to mess with any black guy <laughs> you know and she like that yeah, so this is what this is why you're here. I'm like, wow, thank you. you know, I, I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know how to feel about that. And, and it's just, you know, I, I don't know. For me personally, the reason I don't think that I could be with a white woman is because I don't know. I can't relate. I don't, I don't have anything to relate to her with. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, I, I don't know what. I, I'm going to be honest. At this age, at 40, I wouldn't even know how to approach a white woman. And that's just me being honest. I wouldn't know how to. How would you think you have to approach her differently than any other woman? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. You do. Yeah, I don't know. tell you something. Uh, uh, I, I went to North Greenville University, a 95% white school. And I had, back in college, I had long braids, the cornrows. And I had several white girls say they were interested, but they were scared of me. So you do have to approach them differently because with cornrows, I could just approach a, a black female as as myself, but approaching them, I had to be cautious because they was already looking at me like I was a robbery suspect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, 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 it's different. And I think you being a woman, you being a woman, this is where men are alike. Um, you know, that white guy was approaching you. He was like, okay, well, this is just another woman I'm I'm approaching. And, you know, this this is a guy who had, a, you know, you said yourself had experience just dating nothing nothing but uh, sisters. That's all he dated. So, you know, he has experience. Like, But me, on the other hand, I have never dated a white chick. So I, I wouldn't know. I had the same conversation with my first cousin. My first cousin married a white girl. And, and we were talking about this just a couple of years ago. She's the nicest white girl you ever want to know. Nice, nicest white girl you ever want to know. But but I was like, well, how you approach? He said, well, you know, he was raised around white women. You know, so he, he it was just more comfortable for him to talk to them. And, and he was like, it's more comfortable for him to talk to white women because that's who he was raised with. He wasn't raised around black girls. I get that makes sense. Because I've had white men say to me that they would have approached me, but they weren't sure if I would date white men. Mm. So, yeah. I had colleagues say that to me after we after years after working together. So. Let me get that Me Too situation going on. These are colleagues, that little workplace. Hey, I'm old. I did it, been there, done that, would do it again. A work workplace drama. That's one thing about my field. I don't have to worry about. <laughs> I don't have to worry about that in my field. Ain't too many people. Ain't too many women working my field. But I made that dumb decision before. Oh well, well, we all do that. Why you got to take that sip, take that strong sip? Mm -hmm. Oh, Scott, oh, now oh. did you say you would do it? Again? You would date again outside of your race? Yes. Yep. Mm. I might. Do I seek outside of my race? No, I love you guys. Like, 
but um, if I met a man who was Hispanic, my actually my last boyfriend was half Hispanic. If I met a man who was Hispanic or white or whatever, and there was a connection and a chemistry, and we could have true, honest, open dialogue about social issues, and we had the, that same path, I wouldn't knock that out. I mean, as a 42-year-old woman, I'm not going to eliminate that that whole entire demographic because of that. See, my thing is, I think I think I'm too old to explain to my significant other why Black Lives Matter. You know what I'm oh, saying? No, so that, I'm not gonna do that. that, that that's I'm why. Do that. I, that's why I don't think. I just don't. I don't know if I could. I don't know if I personally could. But who who is it to say, man? One one of my real good homeboys, real real tight homeboy. He married a white woman, and this dude had, had in his prime. He knocked him down with the best of them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In his prime, he got the best of them. And and I and I asked him. I say, well, man, why you decide to marry her? This was early. This was. You know, when he, he engaged her, he say, man, I never thought I would marry a white woman, but she just the one that captivated me. You know, she just the one. She didn't take my shit. And I accepted it. I accepted the fact she kept me on my toes and she was the one for me. And I left him alone. I never asked. I never asked him again. He said, that's the one I love. So I was like, OK. And I told him, I said, I said, man, I'm not going to wipe your ass when you're sick. I'm not gonna take care of you when you're haunted, so you better go and find the one who will, and 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 that's what he did. But I I was uh, I was kind of surprised he actually married him. Now everybody else who know him say, "Well, I knew he was gonna marry him," but I I was really surprised. But that's who he chose. Sly, I, knew I, I knew it. I knew it, Sly. You I knew, knew it, say it but man. I knew it. Man, people people say <laughs> that. People say that, but. You, if you seen his hit list, you seen his, you seen his exes. You, you would be surprised. You, you would be surprised. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. So I promise you, I wouldn't. I can, him and, I, and I'm always supporting. But I, I just, I just, I just know. I just know that I knew it. I knew it deep down in my heart, my heart of hearts. I knew Listen, it. I have two homegirls right now. One of them is divorced. One of them is going through a divorce. I told both of them, your next husband or your next man, he ain't going to be a black man. He's going to be Hispanic or white. <laughs> I know that already. One of them is like, no, I have to be the black man. I said, you keep that. It's not going to happen. Your next man, he's going to be Hispanic or white. Nah, nah. We gonna hold out hope, man. We gonna hold out hope, man. We are getting close to the edge, man. This thing went on a little bit longer than we thought, but but just having Star on here, bringing on her opinions and bringing on her her uh, her expertise on some different subjects that I didn't know about. Now I ain't, I ain't know about uh Star and her her taste for white meat. <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't know about that. Uncooked, uncooked, uncooked white meat. I ain't know about that one, but uh, but we serves up pretty good though. But we do. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if she gonna be my future baby mama talking like that. I don't know. If I can't judge you on your past, you can't judge me. Oh, oh. Some of the things you done said you did on this one hour alone, sir. Hey, hey, I don't know what you thought. That was that was a long, 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 long time ago. Long, long time ago, man. But we gonna we got to go ahead and kind of end this thing, man. Any parting shots, man? You got anything to say before we get out of here, JK? Nah, the conversation took an interesting turn. We go from. DMX to ended up talking about interracial dating because of Hubert <laughs> Davis. So, uh, no, nah, it was a good conversation. Um, you know, everybody be real like DMX. Be real. Love who you love. Be who you are. And that's it. What about you, LBZ? What you got to say to get out of here? All I'm going to say is love conquers all. If a white woman or a white man conquers your heart, love them to the best of your ability and have a great life. But for me, I'm gonna stick with my sisters. Love you all. And, and the beautiful star, what you got to say to get us out of here? Just thanks for the invite. I hope I ain't take us on too many tangents. I tend to to go a little bit when I I catch something. So I appreciate the invite, the hospitality, and anytime I can drink with people and have good conversation, I'm happy. Oh, uh, we we well, star. I want you back. I want to have you back, star. I appreciate I appreciate it. it. We definitely, we definitely love the one and only Miss Star. And that's her real name, too. That ain't even a stripper name. 
Oh, I didn't know that. I was like, okay. So I was going to ask you. My government name is Star, and then my biker name is So Extra. That's a, her biker name. She Star is a biker. Before we go, I just want to know, is it your biker name or your exotic name? <laughs> oh, no, that's another name. <laughs> okay, well, don't worry. We'll talk later, don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh-wee. Well, that is it, man. This is the RIP28 Podcast, man. We're a podcast where a few friends can get together and we can talk about a few things. Now, some of those things you might like, some of those things you might not like, but we're going to keep on talking about it on the RIP28 Podcast. We'll see you soon, man. See you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Holla. Freedom. Freedom.